0: Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, Robert Sykes, Ketosavage.com, and I hope you're having a wonderful... Wonderful day! I've got special guest Ryan Muncie on the line today, and we dove deep into all kinds of things. I really, truly enjoyed this conversation. I have no doubt you will as well. He was a fitness model. He owned his own gym, built his own uh, gym up, and we talked about that. We talked about how to, you know, build up a, a fitness empire, an entrepreneurship standpoint. Uh, but we really dove into mindset. We talked deep, deep about mindset, like what makes people. Um, accomplish great things. What what common character traits do people share that are successful go-getters in life? He just wrote a book called "Fuck Your Feelings," and we talk about that. I I just really could could resonate with all the things he was saying from a mindset perspective. He's also an avid hunter, so we talked deep about hunting. I'm a huge hunter, as you all know, and he just got back from an extended hunt. We talked about that. We talked about how hunting and just being part of the circle of life brings people closer together and and just creates this sense of camaraderie that people benefit from, how having these self-imposed hardships that hunting creates and offers makes you a better person as well from a mindset perspective and also just from a resilience perspective. I truly enjoy the conversation. We are cut from the same cloth, speaking the same language. Shout out to Ryan Muncie. Without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast with Ryan. We are live. Ryan, how are you, brother? I'm doing well, Robert. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. So we get introduced by our mutual friend, Marcus Aurelius Anderson, who is just a, a badass by every, every sense of the word. Um, I, I've known him for several years now. I don't remember how we met initially, come to think of it, but I love his approach to just mindset, life, just everything in general. And the fact that y'all know each other leads me to believe that this podcast is likely to take a twist towards the mindset spectrum and um, you just got back from a hunt. I'm also an avid hunter, so we can talk about that. But I'd love to kind of get some background on you, man. Like, what got you into just the space that you're in, the mindset, the stoicism. Just how, what what led you to who you are now?
1: Yeah, um, <clears throat> that's a loaded question, and uh, I, I guess I'll I'll try to give you the the shortest possible route <laughs> to kind of where we are now. Um, yeah, I, I grew up playing sports. I uh, played basketball and soccer. Uh, until I got to college Uh, I went to Clemson I was not a good enough athlete to play those sports at that level so uh, I kind of channeled that uh, or maybe maybe a better way of phrasing that is I filled that competitive void with the weight room Uh, and that's really where I kind of um, I I guess became obsessed with is, is the right way to say it lifting weights and you know this this idea that we can you know, change or, or control certain inputs and get outputs, uh, different outputs or, or desired outputs. And,
2: um,
1: my best friend from high school was a year behind me and, uh, he actually was a high jumper on the track team at Clemson. Uh, so I got to tag along and, you know, go to some of their workouts and, uh, being a non-revenue sport, as long as you don't make a scene, they don't really care and kind of let me tag along and learn. And, And that's where I really learned, Um, you know, kind of got my foundation for performance training, uh, sprint technique, Olympic lifting. Um, and at the time, uh, I had a major that I didn't love and it it kind of sparked me to change majors. I wanted to do exercise physiology, uh, but Clemson didn't have that. The closest I could get was food science and human nutrition. Mm -hmm. So I did that. Uh, I actually graduated with, I have a dietetics degree in food science and human nutrition, uh, if I wanted to be a registered dietitian, um, all I would have had to do is do the internship after school. Um, but as we could probably talk about for an entire podcast, um, I disagreed with a lot of what I was taught and, and what we were taught to teach others.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, you know, I had the opportunity um, because of my pursuits in bodybuilding to go to New York and pursue uh, fitness modeling. And so, you know, looking at those two options, that was kind of a no-brainer. So I, uh, I tried to be Derek Zoolander for a little while. And uh, that year in New York was uh, 2008 and it was just, it, it was not how I wanted to spend my life and not what I wanted to do. So, you know, it was, uh, it was a quick year and, you know, let's get the heck out of here. Uh, I moved back to Virginia in 2009. That's where I grew up and, um, kind of worked as a personal trainer at a big box gym for a little while and eventually decided that I could do it better myself. And in 2012, I opened my own gym and uh, it was called house of strength and it was a kind of a warehouse style gym looked like crossfit wasn't crossfit um i uh started writing for you know a lot of websites that a lot of people would read online t nation elite fts um Mm -hmm. ended up getting to uh, write workouts for for men's fitness and um sold the gym in 2016 um we can talk about the the business side of that if we wanted to have that conversation as well. But I just, I, I, at the time that I was getting out of the gym, I just, I wanted to burn the place down. I, I I actually hated it. Um, the short version of it is, you know, I took that business advice of work on the business, not in the business. Mm-hmm. And the truth is I didn't start a gym to run a business. I started a gym because I love weights. I love coaching and helping people. And when you remove yourself from coaching and you become a manager of people and, you know, uh, a marketer and this and that, and and I was just doing everything that I didn't want to do and none of what I actually wanted to do. So, um, sold the gym, um, company that you may be familiar with natural stacks had asked me to uh, host their podcast. So from 2015 until the end of 2017, uh, I hosted the optimal performance podcast and eventually um, was uh, doing most of the blogs and emails and digital content marketing for natural stacks Um, basically ran their wholesale for a year. Um, and left there. Uh, 2018 is when my book came out, and so really, <clears throat> the all of this is relevant because it kind of creates the it sets the stage for this conversation that I was having in my head. This this answer or question that I was trying to answer of, um, you know, all these people that I've worked with in nutrition, uh, whether it's you know an athlete who says they want a scholarship or uh, a mom that says they want to lose weight or, you know, anybody in between. Um, you know, people come in and they say they have these goals but then their actions don't align with their goals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, why are you not doing the things that are required to uh, to realize these goals? And um, while I was uh, kind of between the gym and writing the book, you know, I'm, I'm getting to work with and talk to Olympic athletes and Navy SEALs, and uh, at the same time talking to neuroscientists and researchers, and, and so I'm kind of seeing the theory of behavior and high performance, and then I'm seeing the application of it. And the book—can uh, we cuss on here?
0: Go for it, man. All
1: right. So the book is called "Fuck Your Feelings," and it's—it's um, it's really you know kind of my attempt to kind of answer that question and, and provide a user manual for you know what it means to be human and how to be a high performer, how to be a person who achieves anything and everything. Um, and I know that sounds like cliche, but but truly, when we master, you know, these principles, and, and when we can master our mind, um, there's nothing that we can't accomplish. And, you know, that's really the work that I've been doing over the last three or four years. And um, somewhere in there is where Marcus found me and um, kind of how we got connected. And then, as you said, how you and I got connected.
0: I love it. I love it. I definitely want to dive into the book and, and some of the lessons therein, but I'd love to kind of rewind even further and talk a little bit about your, you know, history with just building a business, building a brand, building a uh, an empire within the health and fitness space. Because I feel like a lot of people, you know, they they like working out and they spend a lot of time in the gym. And they just assume that a career in that genre is going to check off all their boxes and just make them happy every single day. And I feel like there is a lot of a lot that is not understood going into fitness and the the you know common sense of the word as a career path is a lot of people would would think, and I hear a lot of people that have a gym. Um, I don't have a, a a corporate gym that that brings in memberships, but I hear so many stories of people that open a gym and it winds up just sucking the life out of them, and they wind up hating it. Um, so can you kind of just speak to that? Like, what were some what were some things that that you what was like the first aha moment where you're like, wow, this is just not what I had expected.
1: Yeah, so I mean, like I said, when I started the gym, you know, I was a personal trainer and, and I was frustrated with the way it worked at a big box gym. So let's say you were my client uh, and you were paying for personal training at, at this big box facility, um, you might be paying $50 a session. Mm-hmm. and the way the contracts work with with me and the the big box um i get 47% they get 53% so you know in your mind you're paying me 50 bucks a session but the reality is i'm making like 2350 and then the gym is taking you know uh, 2650 or whatever the difference is mm-hmm. and so um You know, when I set up my facility, uh, for the first year I trained everybody, I ran every session. Um, I didn't hire another coach until I was, you know, over a year in. Um, but what I did was I set up small groups. And so, uh, you know, there's a reason studios and CrossFits and, and so many of these, you know, gyms that we see popping up gravitate towards that group training model. Um, and and it's because it it creates a win-win scenario, um, especially if the member or the client doesn't want one-on-ones. You know, so I was able to say, and and I would group people, you know, I'm I'm not going to have high school athletes working out with, you know, 50 year old, you know, moms. Right. Mm -hmm. So you group people accordingly. But what I was able to do was say, okay, um, let's have you pay instead of paying 50 bucks a session. What if you paid, hundred or 150, $200 a month, depending on how many times you come in. Um, and if we get five people, let's say we have five people paying 200 bucks a month. Um, you know, now that, uh, so all those five people are coming at 3 PM. Right. And then we have a class at four and five and six and seven, um, in that three o'clock hour, you know, I'm making a thousand dollars a month from that group.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and you're paying significantly less. So you get to pay less. I make more and I keep more. Um, and I get to train and, and, help more people. Um, you know, if you're training one-on-one, you only get to help, you know, even if you're training 10, 12 hours a day, that's you know one-on-ones, that's only 10 or 12 people a day that you can impact. So, uh, by switching to that group model, like I said, it's kind of, it creates a win-win-win scenario for everybody involved. Um, what happens then is, you know, you start to chase revenue and, um, you know, you get kind of caught up in, or or you you can easily get caught up in kind of like the external optics, right? Like what do people think about my facility and how does this look? And, um, you know, there's a tendency to start competing with, comparing, copying others. And and so these are, you know, what we would call the, the three C's of toxic goals. And what ends up happening is you start chasing something that you didn't really want from the beginning. And you create something that uh, maybe impresses other people, but it doesn't necessarily make you happy. Mm. Um, You know, there's tons of business advice out there. Um, You know, like I said, I followed somebody's advice that was saying, you know, you need to remove yourself from the day to day and focus on, you know, working on the business. And so, you know, for you and what you're building, you know, with a, a food company, that's kind of a necessity, unless you just like cooking food right? Like if you love cooking food, maybe you shouldn't, maybe, maybe you should keep that as your role and you should outsource some of the other things. So if I could go back and do it differently, I would continue to coach more and I would have outsourced things like, you know, doing the finances or the books. I would have outsourced, um, you know, some of the marketing, some of the, um, you know, some of the things that I took on as my roles, but, but were things that I never envisioned or desired to do when I said, hey, I'm going to start a gym, right? Because when we say, hey, I want to start a gym, like you said, you're, you're thinking like, oh, I'm just going to get to lift weights and, and help other people lift weights and, you know, be on the gym floor. Um, so, you know, if we try to transfer this conversation to something outside of a gym, you know, it's thinking about what the roles are in the business that you're trying to build. Um, you know, what does is, what, what is the day to day look like for you? or what do you want it to look like and make sure that you are, you know, creating something where you're doing what you love, uh, what you're passionate about every single day. Um, you know, uh, I have an analogy, um, in the book about being Bono and, you know, my Bono role in running that gym was being on the gym floor. And as soon as I removed myself from that, not only was I less happy, I was less effective.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, kind of like, uh, you know, if you're, if I ask you if you want Tom Brady or Peyton Manning on your football team, you're you're probably going to say yes, but you're assuming that they're playing quarterback. Like, what if Tom Brady or Peyton Manning is only on your team, but he's a wide receiver? Mm-hmm. Eh, no, no, thanks. Right?
0: Yeah, totally. I feel like it's hard for, especially in business, because you have to wear so many hats when you when you own no business. But when you're also a go getter like you are, it's like there's this dichotomy between do i just, you know, grit my teeth and and get through this thing that i don't really love in order to get to the other side or do i just double down on really, what i really love cuz like for me if i'm doing something that i don't truly love i i start to, you know, play these mind games and i feel like it's just weakness and i have to just beat it into myself that i can accomplish it, i can excel at it and i'll double down on it but that could be like a a very negative self-fulfilling prophecy if you let it. So, you know, kudos to you for recognizing who it is that you really want to be and what what fulfills you and then being able to act accordingly and pivot and, and just eventually discontinue the the gym altogether.
1: Yeah. And I think, I mean, to, you bring up a good point that like no matter what your role is in in any business, if you think you're going to absolutely love every single task that comes across your to-do list, like that's just not how life works, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're going to have to do things even in your ideal role that, you know, you you may not want to do. Um, But yeah, I mean, I did, I kind of realized that, you know, this thing was, um, that I had built was something that I just didn't want to continue. I I knew we wanted to leave the area and move. And it just wasn't a thing where like, I wasn't going to try to do it from a distance. It was just like, all right, let's just, let's just sell this thing. I see another opportunity that can help me get where I want to go and, and do more of what I want to do. So, you know, um, and, and it was a growth opportunity too. It was going to force me to, you know, learn new skills and, and get better at some of the things that I liked, but mes- wasn't necessarily great at.
0: Totally. Totally. What about the fitness modeling? Cause I feel like a lot of people have this, you know, they put that on a pedestal as well, but they don't really know what the behind the scenes looks like, or I mean, I feel like if they did, they they may have second thoughts as to it. So, what was what was your experience with that? Because you said you knew pretty pretty quickly into that profession that, that wasn't what you wanted to do long term.
1: Yeah, um, I, I mean, it it is literally you are judged by a book of pictures that you put in front of somebody. Um, you know, the the reality of that lifestyle. Uh, or that life is, you know, about maybe four or five o'clock each day, um, I would get a text from my agency and it would have, you know, the next day's, um, castings that I would be going to. And, you know, some days you didn't get a text. Um, and then other days you'd get a text and, you know, there's like two castings and they're both at the exact same time on opposite ends of the city. So you're like, well, (laughs) which one am I going to go to?
2: Um,
1: And and then other days it's like, Hey, you have a photo shoot at, you know, 8am be here. And I mean, I'm pretty sure you've done some photo shoots being told, you know, less than 12 hours before the shoot that you have to be photo ready. You know, that sucks, Mm -hmm. right? Like you'd much rather have a few weeks to get prepared. And so, you know, the reality of trying to live constantly ready uh, is brutal mentally and, you know physiologically um but then kind of just the the mental and, and just the the very real like you know you do go to these castings and you know you walk up and there's you know when you go in there's if you're behind a, a dozen like you know there's 100 you know 50 you know h- however many other people that look exactly like you mm-hmm. um you know because Typically, they'll they'll say like, "Hey, we want you know a tall, dark-haired dude with you know dark eyes." And like, like I said, you walk in and there's like a hundred of them, and yeah. they're all like, just like you, <laughs> but better. <laughs> and it's like, uh, okay, this sucks. Uh, I'm not going to get that. And you know, it's it is it's, it's it it fucks with your head a lot. And you know, you like I said, you you walk in, they're like, "Oh, hi, nice to meet you." And you think they're going to like do some small talk. They just put their hand out. You hand them your portfolio. They look through some pictures, they hand it back to you and they're like, all right, thanks. Um, no, thanks. Mm-hmm. And that's
0: it. And it's like, it's
1: day after day after day.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So between that and the gym, get into, I mean, but it's, Oh, I didn't mean to cut you out there. What was that last thing you're saying?
1: Well, so I mean, that's, that's part of it. Right. And it's just, it's, it's incredibly superficial. It's, it is like the definition of that. and, that's not who I am. That's not how I want to go through life. Um, and, uh, and there's also like, there's a whole other side of it where, um, you know, again, not necessarily something, you know, to, to dig into, but, um, uh, it's a, it's just a, (laughs) it's an interesting industry where, you know, if you do favors for people or, Uh, Let's just say that, like, there's a lot of me too in that industry.
0: Mm, Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, man, that's got to be tough, dude. Because, like, there's there's been instances with me, like, in my company, where it's it's like you you have no matter how much self awareness you have, no matter how much self confidence you have, it's like you you put something that you've worked very hard on out into the public, and you're judged on that. And if I mean people. People that don't know who you are, they don't know your story, they're not going to be very, uh, you know, (laughs) they're not going to be soft. They're just going to, like, be brutally honest. And oftentimes that brutal honesty comes from a very negative place. So, like, you you can have all the best of intentions, but it's hard, no matter who you are, to just have this... Negativity showering you, whether it's a, a food product, whether it's you know the modeling casting, whether it's the gym and and how it's seen in the public's eye, um, it, it's tough, man. So I'm, I'm imagining those two professions in particular were kind of like the main pillars that your that your book was based on. That and and just life in general.
1: Yeah, I, and I I mean I tried to write it in a way that uh, it's, it's agnostic in a sense of, you know, it's not just about health or about fitness or, or nutrition. You know, when you read it as a reader, it, I want it to, I want the reader to feel like, Hey, he's talking to me about my thing. And, and, and that's whatever your thing is, whether you're trying to, you know, start a music career or build a business or write your own book or, you know, whatever the thing is. Um, but yeah, those are certainly, um, experiences that sort of, um, I, I mean, obviously they've, they've shaped my path.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Definitely. I, I have to confess, I intentionally have not yet read the book because I, I, I like to have a blank canvas with any, you know, podcast guests that have coming on. However, I've got a lot of deer stand time next week. I'm going to be reading it then. Um, but I would uh-huh. love for you to, uh, just kind of like, like, you know, Talk about the book in the context of for the listeners. You know, how is this going to be like a tool for them? Like, how did you, like, how, how did you, what, what's the underlying base foundation for the book? What what's the underlying principles? Like, how is it can how can it be leveraged as mm-hmm. a tool?
1: Yeah. So really, I, I never intended to write a book. I, I didn't. I didn't want to. I had a lot of people, maybe 2016, telling me like, "Hey, you need to write a book. You should write a book." and, and at the time, I felt like that advice was just. Um, you know, like that's what everybody else is doing to try to build a brand. And and I didn't want to, didn't want to write a book just to write a book. Um, I had the opportunity to speak at the biohacker summit in Sweden in the spring of 2017. And they said, Hey, we're just going to give you 45 minutes. You talk about whatever you want to talk about. And at that point, you know, I'd kind of been in the biohacking space for a few years and, the, the message that I wanted to share was to focus on high performance, not peak performance. And what I mean by that is anything that has a peak by definition has a drop off or a fall off on the other side.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I saw so many people chasing transient states. Like how do I, how do I do everything to optimize right now and, and the hell with, you know, what that means for tomorrow. Right. Um, and so, it sort of led to this uh, talk where, you know, the the main kind of focus of the talk was states versus traits, right? And, and states are, you know, as I alluded to, these short-term transient ways of being where um, a trait is, you know, a, a, a character or a characteristic that is true about you regardless of your state. And in doing some of the research for that, I came across um, – Uh, a a neuroscientist named Antonio Damasio who had published some research that as many as 95% of our decisions are made based on how we feel in that moment. Mm. Um, And if, if you're somebody who can connect the dots pretty quickly, you can see like that's kind of where the title of the book came from. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So, you know, the book is sort of explaining uh, not sort of, it is explaining, you know, how our brains work, uh, the difference between we have a a limbic system and then we have the prefrontal cortex and, you know, the, the limbic system is incapable of seeing beyond the now. So it's sort of like the ego driven teenager. And when we're talking about our States, you know, that's where we are. Um, so, uh, one of the other cool things uh, about, um, you know, learning what feelings are, Uh, neuroscientists define feelings as mental experiences of physiological states. And so that's powerful information because if you know how to change your physiology, you know how to change your state. And so, you know, that's really what Tony Robbins is entire career is built on, right? You go to a Tony Robbins event, he's going to change your physiology, changes the way you feel, changes the way you think. Right. Um, And and so like a lot of NLP and and different things are built on that. And so I'm not necessarily going down that rabbit hole, but I want people to understand your own biology, your own physiology. And, And if you can understand that, if you have ownership of that information, then there's nothing you can't do with this, thing that you're walking around in the human body the human brain um and kind of laying out okay here's what's going on here's how you're wired this is what happens um and then here's how you can kind of uh, insert uh, awareness into some of these moments and then create better choices um and that's that's really you know how we use this book as a tool. Uh, there's tons of different tools in the book, um, you know, to help people kind of bring more awareness into those moments to, you know, to to establish what your values are, um, so that you can, you know, as I'll say, you know, awareness creates choice, and then in that moment, choose to act according to your values, not your current feelings. Right. And so if you haven't defined your values, how do you do that? Right. So you have to define your values first. Who are you? What do you want to stand for? How do you want to be remembered? Um, lots of different questions like that. And and there's uh, at the end of every chapter, there's some reflection questions. Um, you know, I really want people to, you know, kind of slow down and, and think about some of these things before they move on to the next chapter.
0: I freaking love that, man. I, I love the concept of states versus traits. I feel like, you know, it's probably bad in every industry and genre, but the fitness industry in particular is just brutal because a lot of times the people that are put on this, you know, throne as to be the the ideal picturesque image of health are the farthest things from health. They've just peaked for yeah. that. That specific, I mean, it, you see it in body, but that's, this is why I'm I'm so uh, you know devoutly you know a natural bodybuilder because I'm playing the long game here instead of just the short term you know high that you get from a bunch of performance enhancing drugs and all that stuff. But I feel like. It, it transcends body, but it transcends into, and it bleeds into every other aspect of life because so many people are, especially now, I think, they're, they're just so focused on the now. Um, they allow their emotions, they allow their feelings to dictate every action they make with no, no proactive thought towards the long-term recourse to that action. And I feel like setting yourself up and viewing yourself through the lens of what can I maintain indefinitely that's going to put me on the right track for the compounding activities, you know, leading to my long-term success, that that is key.
1: Absolutely. I I don't know of a high performer in any area of life who has not thought about their goals through that lens. Uh, and, And I mean, that could be an Olympic athlete. It could be a special forces, you know, operator. It could be a business person. Um, you know, nobody's having success at those high levels by accident. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we have to, that, that thought process has to be there. Um, and so what you're, what you're explaining there is part of thinking like a high performer.
0: So for you personally, what are some, what are some specific character traits and or values that you've kind of built in, yourself and also that you've that you've found as you know a, a common link between all the other high performers that you've you know interacted with over the years and that anybody listening could like you know if they wanted to double down on any particular traits to just make sure are in their repertoire that would be one of them
1: Ooh, that's a good question nobody's ever asked me that one um, <laughs> I, I think um, I think preparation has, has always been um, very critical for me. Um, you know, if we're looking for confirmation bias, you know, I, I could say that I see that in other high performers, but I, I'd say there there are a lot of people who can get away without that. Mm-hmm. I've never been good enough at anything to you know excel in the moment without prior preparation. Um, and you can apply that to anything, right? Like you're, you're a hunter, just like I am. So you know, I can't tell you how many times. I've shot my bow, right? Mm-hmm. I know in the moment, you know, if, I, if I'm if i at full draw, I, I know without a doubt what I need to do and, and what's going to happen because I've done it so many times. Um, and I think this, I think more than anything, preparation gives us confidence. Um, you know, I think a lot of people who have doubt or or hesitation, a lot of that really stems from a lack of repetition, a lack of preparation. Um, you know, if you haven't done something once, if you haven't done it 10 times, um, you know, you're going to have a lot of hesitation. And so uh, I realize that there are certain things in life where, you know, it, it's hard to do it before you actually do it the first time. Um, but as much as possible, you know, study, prepare, get reps, uh, however you can, um, you know, another, point on confidence. I get asked all the time, how do you build more confidence? And and I tell people building confidence in yourself is the same thing as building trust in yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. If we lack confidence, then, you know, really we, we don't trust ourselves. And so, you know, I turn it around and say, well, how would somebody else build trust with you? Like, what, what do I have to do for you to trust me? Right. Well, I have to, I have to do what I say right? Like, that's the only way that we can trust another person is, you know, this person, you know, they they continually do what they say they're going to do. And so if if somebody comes to me and they say, well, I have a lack of confidence, and then I can turn that around. And I can say, well, it's probably because you don't trust yourself. And if that's the case, have you let yourself down in the past? Do you say I'm going to get up at 4am and work out, but then you don't get out of bed and do the thing? Do you say I'm going to shoot my bow 100 times this week, and then you don't do it? Do you say I'm going to write, you know, for two hours a day for the next five days and then you don't do it. Well, no wonder you don't trust yourself. You let yourself down. And I can't tell you how many times I see people do this or or how common that is. And so, um, we are more likely to let ourselves down than we are anybody else. And so, you know, when it comes to to confidence, and again this kind of goes into preparation, um, you know, putting that on your calendar and not letting yourself down, doing the things that you say you're going to do. Um, and then that kind of rolls into one of the other values, which would be integrity, right? Um, just, if you say you're going to do it, do it, keep your word, whether it's to yourself or to other people. If your workout calls, uh, for, you know, 60 minutes of step ups, don't stop at minute 47 cause you're tired. Like, even if nobody else knows you're going to know, mm-hmm. right. And not only will you not be prepared, but you'll know, And you'll know you quit. And the more you quit, the easier it becomes and the more that becomes a habit. So um, I I guess saying those words kind of like integrity and uh, preparation, um, I I guess those would be some of the values. And I think those are things that, you know, yeah, I definitely see those uh, as kind of overlapping or common traits in high performers.
0: No, I totally agree, man. I mean, integrity, I've always put a lot of emphasis in that. preparation. I mean, all those. Um, It's interesting because I feel like with regard to preparation and and repetition, you know, like everybody knows a one-hit wonder. Everybody knows like the star, super talented, naturally talented athlete from middle school or high school. If they look them up now, they're probably, you know, just total deadbeat. Like there's so many people that have this just innate natural talent, but because they have that, it's like they don't need to put in as much repetition for that phase in their life, but that repetition is what carries them through to long-term success throughout their life, and I feel like there's a lot more incredibly high performers in the fitness world, in the business world, in every genre that are not naturally gifted at any of the things they're doing. They're just like freaking bulldogs. Like I am not the best bodybuilder. I'm never going to be the biggest guy on stage. Never gonna be the best shot with a bow, uh, but I feel like just simply like I, I'm the guy that will willingly and desire to do the things that nobody else wants to do every single damn day because I like doing things that I know nobody else wants to do. And I feel like repetition, the reason people don't put forth repetitions because it requires some degree of discomfort. Like it, it's, it's not yeah. always comfortable to wake up at three o'clock in the morning, hit the gym. It's not always comfortable to walk outside when it's raining and shoot the bow. Like people's willingness to avoid discomfort is the reason people have less self-confidence.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. I mean, it's, it is amazing to me how easy it is for, um, I don't want to say average or normal, but, but just people in general, um, can, can rationalize not doing the thing or, or talk themselves out of the thing or find, we can always find an excuse to not do the thing. Right. And and again, like this is thinking about this is what led me to write the book. Right. Like the reason you don't want, to do those things is you don't feel like it. I don't feel like being cold. I don't want to be in the wind today. I don't want to get out of bed this early. Dude, fuck your feelings. If you're gonna do the thing that you said you're gonna do, if you're gonna be the best hunter, if you're gonna be an Olympic swimmer, if you're gonna be, you know, the best business person, you're gonna to have to make a lot of micro decisions where you do the thing that you don't want to do right now. Mm-hmm. And the only way, the only way to get where you want to be, is to train yourself to do what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it, even if you don't feel like it.
0: Could not agree more, man. I, I don't I'd be curious to get your thought on this. Um, I was talking to someone the other day about, you know, what, what the day to day life would have been like hundred years ago. Um, and I find myself thinking about this a lot because most of my friends mm-hmm. are, you know, significantly older than me. Most people I relate with are much older than me. The books that I read are, you know, written hundreds of years ago. Like, I feel like I was just born in the wrong, you know, time frame possibly, but uh, I don't ever want to come across as the guy that's like, well, back in my day, you know, and you had this like underlying (laughs) bias. But at the same time, I feel like so much has changed, especially with technology over the last, you know, 20 years that things have probably shifted just catastrophically when it comes to people's willingness to avoid discomfort and, and to just not do the things that they know that they innately need to do. Um, do you agree with that or do you think it's just our biases being in this current day and age?
1: No, I, am I'm right there with you, man. I I think, um, I think about that a lot. I think about how soft we've become, uh, as humans. And, you know, if somebody that lived 200 years ago saw us now, um, you know, would we be, I, I, we wouldn't be unrecognizable but they would probably be disgusted with our inability uh, or, or inability to do certain things, and, and you know, lack of desire to do certain things. I mean, we—I don't think most people realize all of the modern conveniences we have and how comfortable our lives get to be. Um, you know, so you mentioned you know, just being out hunting, uh, for, for, I was out for 17 days and, um, you know, we, we actually got to sleep in a cabin, you know, with electricity and wifi and, uh, you know, running water. Uh, and thank God we did because several days, you know, there were 30, 40 mile an hour winds and snow and it was in the teens and, you know, it's a blizzard and, you know, it's, it's tough hunting conditions. But, you know, thank God we got to sleep in a you know cabin. We weren't sleeping in a tent. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even if we'd been in that cabin 200 years ago, you know, there wasn't any electricity. You know, you had to build a fire. Um, yeah, you, you get a little bit of shelter from the wind. But, um, you know, most people listening to this are listening on a mobile phone, right? You've got a computer in your pocket that can access every piece of information that humanity has ever had access to. Um, you know, most people got up this morning and they pissed into the clean water.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Like, I mean, that's like the ultimate inconvenience, right? Like you get to go to the bathroom in clean water. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, like you want to talk about, like, I, it just, I, I'm, yeah, I'm right there with you. Like we have so many conveniences and comforts and, you know, we don't have to go chop wood to, you know, build a fire to provide heat in the winter. Right. Most of us don't, um, you know, most of us don't have to walk, Uh, up or down a 1,000 feet of elevation just to get to the creek to get water so that we can drink water today, right? You just walk to the refrigerator and you pull something out. Um, And look, I mean, I'm not knocking, and and this is kind of like, this this is the duality of um, technology and conveniences, right? Because several hundred years ago, we had to spend most of our energy and time Meeting basic needs, food, water, shelter, you know, all those things, right? Mm-hmm. When those things are met, more or less, we get to focus on things like building a business and, you know, trying to put people in space and, you know, uh, building electric cars and it, all the things that technology has, uh, you know, really afforded us, all the things that we focus on now. And so, yeah, like when you say first world problems, like, there's a reason right and so it's it's like you said it's it's easy to kind of come across as well back in my day and you know does this mean we should go back to the stone ages no it doesn't but i do think that i think the further we get away from who we are in our dna i think the more you're going to see people drawn to you know seeking challenges and wanting to be outside more and There's a reason that there are more hunters now than there have been in the last 10 years. There's a reason more people are are hiking and, you know, leaving cities and and moving to, you know, rural areas. Um, Our lifestyles are at odds with our biology. And a lot of people are realizing that and, and seeking lives that are more aligned with the way that humans have lived for however long you think we've been on the planet
0: totally totally agree man it's funny too because like in in the the biohacking space you know like i i can totally geek out over all this stuff i'm down with all of it i'll listen to the podcasts i'll i'll experiment with all the different you know tools and gadgets but it, it's funny cuz it's like the biohacking space is almost if you look at it through a certain lens, the farthest away from that. Like there's literally people out there in the biohacking community that are trying to see what type of red light therapy they can put on their balls to increase their testosterone count. Like people 200 years ago would not ever have thought about that. You know, it's it's funny because, you know, I can see the appeal to both sides, but it's like I feel like the people that, you know, have this innate yearning for just a true deeper connection they're not getting through a a screen, they're just, the the call of the wild, so to speak, is just that much louder in them. I mean, I hunt, I mean, we don't need to hunt, man. Like, we we can walk into any grocery store and get whatever food we need. Like, this is definitely first world problems here, especially bow hunting. Bow hunting requires just hours and hours of just, you know, tireless practice. I mean, you could easily grab a gun, put the crosshairs on anything, and pull the trigger. And not not to discredit the gun hunters I'm a gun hunter as well but bow hunting at an extreme man like you have to put in so much work for the result that you're looking for that is not required at all but that's kind of like we have to self-impose these hardships because we're not getting it in our normal day-to-day whereas that was the normal day-to-day hundreds of years ago
1: yeah yeah and I think that's you hit
0: the nail on the head I mean it's
1: what we're seeking and what we're self imposing was just how humans live. It was what they had to do to survive, um, you know, and just get through a winter. Um, and so it, it is an interesting thing. Um, yeah, I I'm right there with you on all of it.
0: Did you, did you get into hunting, you know, via like your father or how did you kind of go down that, that road?
1: So my story is actually pretty interesting, or, or I guess it's, it's a little different than the average person. Um, my dad was a big fisherman, uh, but he did not hunt. So growing up, um, you know, we, we went fishing all the time. Um, my best friends in high school, actually they were brothers. One was a year older, one was a year younger. The younger one is the one that was at Clemson with me. Um, their dad taught me how to hunt. They hunted, and you know when we were in high school, and they started going hunting, and I was like, "Well, I want to hunt," so uh, I started and, and learned from them. And uh, actually, my first bow was a hand-me-down PSE from from their dad,
2: nice. and
1: uh, and they taught me how to hunt and, and shoot a bow in high school, and uh, I just I loved it. And I didn't do any hunting for a while, and then one year uh, it was when I had the gym. I just missed archery and I actually went and bought a bow just to shoot, um, just for the archery component. I had no real intention of, of hunting, uh, or getting back into hunting, but, um, you know, we lived in an apartment, we didn't have any land. And, um, it just so happened that that year, my parents sold their house and, and moved onto a farm. And, uh, so they have like a 13 acre, just a little farm now. And, they had deer all over the place and I was like, Hey dad, do you, uh, care if I put up a ground blind and just, you know, see if I can get a deer. And, uh, and he was like, no, nah, come on. And, and I did. And he actually would sit in the ground blind with me. Nice. And so he is now an adult onset hunter. So I taught him how to hunt as, as I have been an adult in the last few years. And, uh, man, it was so cool. He actually got his first deer with a bow last year And then he killed one with a rifle later in the year. And he's already gotten one with a rifle this year, too. So, like, to have my dad sending me pictures of, uh, you know, him hunting without me now. Like, at first, it was just he would hunt when I would come into town and he'd go with me. But um, to see him doing it on his own now is just the coolest thing.
0: That is awesome, man. Like, my my dad got me into it. Um, He's not a bow hunter, so I've been getting into bow hunting. Uh, as of late, and I freaking love it. But it's just it's just cool to bring new people into the space and have them experience that as they never had before. I mean, one of my good friends, uh, Danny Vega, he's never hunted before. Took him to my farm, and then he shot his first deer. And he was just like, the whole experience was just spiritual. Like, you could tell that he had, I mean, he was experiencing emotions that he'd never had before. And, like, the okay. way he honored the animal when he walked up to it, the way he, like... You know, prepared, processed the animal, ate the food. I mean, it's just, you, you can't replicate that through anything no. other than the act itself. You know, and people that don't do it, yep. you know, I, like it's not really feasible for everyone to hunt. You know, that, that's kind of like the scalability argument that a lot of people oppose. But, I mean, if, if people haven't done it, I don't feel like they have the right to judge those that do it. Because, I mean, if you rewind the clock that's what we did. That's, that's how we've, that's how we got our food before there were grocery stores. So I don't feel like anybody has the right to dismantle it as a, as an activity, but I feel like if you do it through the right, you know, lens with respect towards the animal and you put in the practice to put a well-placed shot on an animal, I mean, there's just, there's just nothing else like it, man.
1: No, I I agree. The, the depths, and complexity of emotions um, throughout that whole process of of harvesting an animal are just, they're almost indescribable. And, and I think, you know, other hunters understand it because they've been through it, but it's just so difficult to articulate everything that, that you feel and experience uh, throughout that process. And, and, and as you said, even just like the, um, the relationship that you have with that meat, um it is unlike any other relationship with food you know when there's when there's venison on the table uh, or on your plate that you know you harvested that um it's just it's totally different and you know my wife had a father who hunted and she never liked meat uh i guess they didn't prepare it well or you know whatever and so she kind of had this aversion to to eating venison and i finally got her to you know to try more of it this year and she has absolutely fallen in love with it. She can't get enough. And, um, she's always asking me like, you know, do we have enough and how long is it going to last? And and I'm just kind of smiling and laughing. I'm like, well, if we need more, like I can go on another hunting trip. And, uh, but, but it's just, it's such a cool feeling to, you know, to, to be a provider, right. To, to harvest this and, you know, that your family is eating this and, and they love this meat that, you know, that, that you put on the table. And it's just, it's totally different than going to the grocery store and um, kind of being removed from that process. You know, I I always say that I'm, I'm happily an active participant in that process that puts food on our table. And um, I actually have a goal. Uh, It's probably not going to happen this year, but next year I would like to not buy meat from a store. Uh, I would like to have all the meat that we eat come from, meat that I have harvested hunting, uh, and maybe supplement that with like a quarter of a cow, uh, from, uh, we actually live really close to, uh, to Joel Salatin. So I'd probably get it from polyface farm if I could.
0: Nice, man. That's, that's awesome. I, my, my competition prep that I did this year, um, started last November and went through, uh, May. And one of the the things I'm most proud of is that every single meal in that competition prep included some venison that I had harvested the year before uh so that being able to do that is just it's just a whole other level man whether it's whether it's you know animal yep. that you've hunted and harvested or you know something that you've raised like even even your own homegrown chicken eggs I mean something as simple as that you yep. just have a whole new appreciation and you don't waste food like I have very little respect respect for people that just throw away a ton of food like I waste zero food and I think that is very common amongst most hunters because they know the work that it took to to get that food, and they don't take it for granted.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And and you know, to something you said earlier about you know doing things the right way and you know being ethical, and and, and I think any anything that pops into a non hunter's mind uh, that is negative about hunting or hunters, those are things that hunters hate as well. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't like the people that, you know, when, when people like you and I are, are kind of talking and and being romantic about, you know, hunting, um, you know, the things we despise are the same things that most non hunters despise. You know, we, we're not drinking and, and hunting from a truck, you know, we're not road hunting, you know, we're not, you know, shooting shit just to shoot shit. And, you know, you're not wasting anything. There's, there's tremendous, Effort put into it. There's tremendous respect for the animals, and and it is a, um, it, I mean, I think it's a very spiritual um, pursuit. And, and you know, it's it's difficult to feel as alive as you do when you're bow hunting. Um, you know,
2: doing anything
0: else. Hundred percent, man. And what's what's more than that is is beyond the relationship you have with the animal that you've harvested like if you're doing it alongside somebody especially someone that, that hasn't been exposed to it before like my you know D- my friend Danny as an example like when they yeah. take a life or when you take a life your appreciation for life is amplified and then the relationship you have with <laughs> that person that you've shared that experience with is amplified
1: Oh man and, and that's I'm so glad you brought that up cuz that's that is one of the coolest things I mean one of my favorite pictures, one of my favorite memories from, uh, the hunt. So, so I've been, um, uh, I was really lucky this year. I got to go, I've been to Montana four times this year. Nice. Um, and, uh, I went on a spring bear hunt. We didn't get anything. Um, so my elk tag in Montana this year was a combo. So I had an elk and a deer tag. And so we were, we archery hunted in September for elk during the rut. And I did not get an elk then. Um, but I did get a mule deer and when we, when I got the mule deer with the bow, um, you know, of course we process it, we pack it out, we go back to camp and, you know, that night we, we had stuff at camp just for kind of a celebratory meal, you know, in case one of us got something, Mm
2: -hmm. um,
1: my buddy, Mike that I hunt with had, um, he still had some dried morel mushrooms from the spring. Um, he had actually shot a grouse with his bow earlier in the day. So,
2: nice. uh, and he
1: brought a big stick, big stick of butter. So we're, we're back at camp, an entire stick of butter in a cast iron skillet over a campfire with grouse and mule deer backstraps and morel mushrooms. And man, just like sharing that meal together and, you know, celebrating that, like, that's such a cool experience, such a great memory. Um, yeah. And you're right. Like that, like those memories and those experiences are just,
0: they're so powerful. I, I freaking love it, man. I, I got to, I got a group of guys coming out here. They're flying out here next week, and I'm taking. We got a. I'm fortunate enough to have this really big family farm that's been in our family for the past five generations now. Um, it's it, there's a cabin on it. It's just there's swamps, there's woods, there's fields, there's a river that runs through it. It's just it's like my little piece of paradise. And I'm taking them all out here most of them are city boys um, and we're just going to go out there there's no cell phone service we're going to we're going to hunt hard every single day we're going to come back in the evening sit around the campfire enjoy each other's company and I'm so freaking stoked about that because especially this year man with 2020 like it's just weird everybody's been social distancing they lack that just camaraderie that comes with sharing a campfire they they're doing everything through social media text messaging zoom calls like you we've lost sight of what brings humans closer together and this next week is going to be about just bringing that to the forefront of our minds and escaping the the false reality that people create for themselves so we're speaking the same language man, man like, this is where it's at
1: you guys are gonna have so much fun that is awesome and I mean just I'm sure you've experienced this too but just th- those those days where you get up before the sun you go outside and you spend the entire daylight portion of the day outside you don't mm-hmm. come in until after dark and and then when you get to do that for several days in a row you just you feel so good you're and like you said when you're you're not staring at a screen you're not on zoom you're not on email and I, even if even if you're lucky enough to get to do what you love and, and build your own business and you know i like, I don't have any issues with, you know, my Zoom calls or, I mean, Zoom allows us to have this conversation,
0: right? Yeah, but, totally.
1: I mean, if if you and I were sitting around a campfire eating an animal that we just harvested, like, you know, it goes up like threefold, right? It's just, it, it's so amazing to get to do that, not just for a single day, but for several days in a row.
0: Yeah, I feel like, I don't know, I mean, for me at least, it takes me like a while to fully disconnect from the life that I've left behind to like fully embrace the, the pristine wilderness that I'm in. Like I've got like this and maybe it's cause I own a business. I've got constant, just I'm wearing a lot of hats. There's constantly stressors coming in, but it takes me more than just an instantaneous reaction to, to break free from that. So having enough time out there is key. So the fact that you just went on, what was it? A 17 day hunt you said?
1: <laughs> yeah. 17 was too long, man. Um, you know, I think it's, I had this conversation with somebody else recently, but uh, to your point, like it, it, so the way it worked in Colorado was their, their hunting season is a week long. And Mm -hmm. my tag was for their third rifle. And it went from November 7th through the 13th. So it was like a Saturday through the next Friday. And I flew out on a Thursday. And then that Friday we drove like four or five hours to where we were hunting and then stayed in the cabin. And so that was really beneficial because, you know, I had those kind of two days to transition and kind of uh, like you're talking about, just kind of letting things go and kind of settling in. And then we had the whole seven days to hunt. And so that's the longest that i had hunted consecutively. Um, and then I had the two days of travel to get to Montana, but it, it, having that length of time really allowed me to kind of settle in and, and kind of be fully present. Um, and also, you know, like if you're only there for, you know, five or seven days, the downside to that is by the time you do get settled in, you're already kind of starting to think like, oh, well, I've only got two more days. Or I've only got three more days. So
2: yeah.
1: I think for me somewhere in the 10 to 14 day range would be ideal. Um, but by the end of that, 17 second is too week, long. <laughs> you know, as I was getting a day like 14, 15, it was just it's just too long for me to be away from my wife. I mean, I'm lucky. Like I I have a wife that I love and I enjoy being around her and it's, it's tough to be away from somebody uh, for for that long.
0: No, that's a good point, man. That's a good point. I think as long as you're able to have that, um, you know, experience to, it's like, like the people that only know that or only know the zoom and the social, they don't know the woods. Like you, you don't appreciate either side of the spectrum. So, being able to have both, right. you get the best of both world. Best of both worlds. You can kind of, you know, be in the moment. Ideally, you can be in the moment when you're in the moment, and then not take it for granted. And then when you're, you know, outside of that moment in your other area of life, then you can double down on that and know that that escape, that that other side of you is is looming. You've always got something to look forward to, but you don't squander the present moment. Yeah, I mean that's the secret, right? Be here now. Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely. We got to get Marcus hunting, man. I don't think he's ever has. he ever hunted? Do you know?
1: Um, I think he's interested in it. I I think he's been on some rifle hunts because he and I talked about it. He got to um, he got to harvest some animals in South Africa, actually, with some of their like you know they they have those like world renowned trackers, and uh, he got to experience some of their rituals with you know the harvest and and kind of using everything. So he has done some of that, but um, he's not yet gotten hooked on archery um but knowing him like we talked about it like knowing him and his affinity for martial arts and and everything like i think as soon as he shoots a bow for the first time he'll be hooked
0: well he did shoot a bow because when i was at his event i brought my bow and i had him shooting that and he loved oh, okay. it okay so he has he has tasted it we just got to get him you know hook line and sink and we, we, we got to all go hunting man dude that would be amazing we, we can go hunting and then we can like come back and podcast the entire experience. That's what I'm talking about.
1: I think we can make that happen next year.
0: Heck yeah, man. Heck yeah. Well, what what do you got coming up in the pipeline for you, brother? I want to be respectful of your time, but just kind of finish off with with what's what's in store for you.
1: Well, uh this is something you and I can talk about a lot uh going forward. But uh my hunting partner and I have started a uh a business and, and we will probably be doing food. It'll be a food company called Fuel the Pursuit. Nice. Um so one of my issues uh, going out west last year was you know, I grew up hunting, you know, kind of day hunts or half day hunts here on the east coast. And so food was just it's never an issue, right? Like you just you throw a snack or you know half a day's of food in the in your pack and that's a no big deal but you know when it's a week out west you know you start looking for okay well how am I going to eat if I'm living out of a tent and a backpack for a week um and so I started listening to some of the podcasts and reading you know what was uh, out there in terms of backcountry nutrition and it was incredibly frustrating, um, as you've probably seen and, you know, see all the time in the nutrition world, you know, just regurgitation of the same bad advice. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, you know, Mike, my, my hunting partner is, you know, he's extremely knowledgeable as well. And and into you know, optimization and paleo, keto, metabolic flexibility, all all of that. And, you know, we just started talking. And so long story short, we're going to, we're going to start a company that'll first focus on, uh, the educational side of it, um, to try to give hunters and all backcountry athletes, um, you know, whether it's hiking or kayaking or climbing, whatever, um, the resources uh, and the knowledge to be able to fuel what they're doing properly. Um, and then we may, uh, will most likely venture into, you know, making our own food. Um, and that might be dehydrated meals. Um, Mike makes dehydrated meals for us. I make pemmican. Um, we do a couple of different things. So those might be the first two products that we make. Um, and so 2021 will be a big year for for us to kind of bring that out. We're, we have the LLC. We have a landing page up. We're, we're going to start to launch that and, and do more with it next year.
2: Um, so that'll you, be man. my
1: big focus next year. Yeah, the, that, And the book awesome. just continues to do well and, and coaching kind of doing that kind of not only say on the side, but you know, that's just kind of a, a mainstay.
0: Yeah. If there's, I mean, if there's anything that I can help with, with regard to, you know, any hurdles that you might hit with a food product, man, I'd be, I'd be all about it because bringing more nutrition to the outdoors side of the spectrum, you know, for people that are doing these backpacking events or extended hunts like that, that would be something I could totally, totally get behind. And I feel like you're a perfect man for the job. Well, and
1: on that note, we haven't even talked about this, but your keto bricks were a huge part of my 17 days, uh, out West recently. And, and I told you this over email, but man, I'll say it here. I just to, to be able to have a thousand calories in a 150 gram package and know that the ingredients are foods that, I mean, I, I say, I, I tell people I have probably the highest standards of, of anybody that they know, um, you know when it comes to food and so to find a product like what you're creating that that checks all the boxes and doesn't cut corners and like i'm sure you know like you see these things and you get excited about something and then you read the ingredients and there's like there's one thing they're like why did they do that why is that in there um and, and so you know to to have a product like yours that that checks all the boxes and doesn't cut corners Um, it is just amazing. So I can't thank you enough for, you know, doing what you're doing to put this thing in the world.
0: Hey man, well, I I really appreciate it. I didn't even pay to say that. Um, that, that means a (laughs) lot though. It really does. Like I, I'm proud of the ingredients. I mean, I literally eat a single keto brick every single day. Um, I have one with me every time I go hunting. Like, I mean, that's just part of my normal day to day nutrition. And, you're absolutely right, man. There, there's one—I forget the name of the company—but they sent me this box of all the outdoors foods, um, and it was like oh, not I a know keto. What you're sp- talking about. Yeah, it was yep. not a keto-specific box. But I was reading all these ingredients, and I'm just like, if I'm going to be out in the wild for a week, and I need to, you know, heighten my sense of awareness, I need to heighten my mental clarity, I need to heighten my performance, avoid cramping, and yep. just like really optimize. Yep. The last thing I'm going to be putting <laughs> in my body is any of the stuff on this list. So. I didn't make the keto you know, brick for that specifically, but it kind of worked out pretty well because I eat the brick when I'm doing those activities.
1: Yeah, it, it's a perfect application for it. And, and you know, exactly what you're saying, like that's the frustration that led to us creating this business, Fuel of Pursuit, because, you know, like you said, I want full mental acuity. I don't want cramping. I don't want brain fog. I don't want, you know, any of that stuff. And, and then there's there's these nutritionists. Well, they're, they're actually dietitians you know, out there saying like, oh, you know, like eat gummy bears and, you know, eat chips Ahoy. Like literally Robert, their meal plan has chips Ahoy cookies on it. (laughs) You don't need a nutrition degree to know that that is not performance fuel. Like, come on.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you stop and think about it, like even, even just being fat adapted, just being keto, like one of my clients just went on this extended elk hunt. Uh, He just got back a week ago and he had a successful hunt, harvested this nice bull elk. And he was, he was kind of like, Talking to me as he was going through it with all of his hunting partners who were not keto, and he was like, "Man, I'm just I'm just running circles around these guys. They're having to stop and like take a break. They're having to have a snack. They're they're getting all moody <laughs> if they haven't eaten. And I'm just you know blowing and going. And I'm like, it, take 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 the food, take take the, the performance products out of the question entirely, and just look at what is fueling your body. I mean, the keto approach towards performance hunting is the only sensible thing."
1: It really is, and so uh, you mentioned two different things there that, that are going to be a big part of the education piece for what we're doing with Fuel Pursuit, and, and one of them is you know being fat adapted and you know being able to tap into that stored energy that we are all always carrying around, and you know as you're talking about keto being such a great tool for hunting, you also have to keep in mind that this is being done at altitude, mm-hmm. right? So you have less oxygen, so. You know, we know keto has advantages for oxygen efficiency as well, right? Mm, So, like, why not? Why not all these stack all these things in your favor and truly put yourself in that uh, ideal state to be able to uh, to perform? You know, for days on end.
0: You know, to bring it full circle, it's probably because people don't want to put at that little bit of discomfort in that transition phase and stay away from the chips (laughs) ahoy.
1: wait you mean they have to prepare they have to think about what they're going to eat and it's not like a, an afterthought of like hey uh we just left the airport and before we head to camp we're going to stop at this gas station or walmart we're going to load up on snacks
0: yeah i don't know i think those people should just fuck their feelings man i think they should too <laughs> well listen brother i want to be respectful of your time but i can tell we are cut from the same cloth um we're speaking the same language for sure man this is only the this is the first time we've ever spoken. We've had a couple short email correspondences, but, you know, Marcus, I got utmost respect for Marcus. When he sent me your way, I knew knew we'd have a good conversation, and I've got utmost respect for you, man. So I'm looking forward to reading your book, On a Deer Stand, and I can't wait to make this uh, in an in-person conversation, preferably over a campfire with some backstrap.
1: Uh, I can't wait for that either, man. But I tell you what, before we do that, we'll get you uh, – we'll do it digitally again. and We'll get you on uh, our podcast, Better Human Project, and uh, and we'll have another chat.
0: Hey, man, count me in. Anytime. Just let me know. Where can people go to find out more about you, brother? Uh,
1: website right now, uh, com. probably the best place. Um, I am increasingly spending less time on social media, but uh, Instagram – is probably the one I'm, what's the only one I use, uh, at Ryan Muncie underscore. Um, and then like I said, fuel is, uh, live and hopefully, uh, we, we get a lot of updates for everybody, um, on that project in the next couple of weeks and maybe a couple of months.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, I will certainly link out to all of those. Ryan, man, keep killing it, brother.
1: Robert man this has been a blast. Thanks so much for having me on and uh I'm pumped to to connect with you and you know
0: continue to connect. Hey man this is just the beginning so we will we will definitely keep in touch. Yes sir. Take care brother. All right man you too.